Greetings, film freaks. We are the Podcorn Kernels. Join us as we discuss the hard and often indigestible truths that are at the center of the fluffy and delicious world of cinema. What's poppin', people? Welcome to the Podcorn Kernels podcast. My name is Adam, and joining me in your ear holes is Harry. Say hello, Harry. I wonder what else Michael Jackson would have done to his face. On today's episode, we will be talking about The Black Phone. This is a 2021 film directed by Scott Derrickson and stars Mason Tams, Madeline McGraw and Ethan Hawke. IMDb describes the synopsis as follows. After being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. Here is an original song to support the synopsis. When you're out walking, don't you start talking to an odd man with a black fan. Isn't it strange? A man so deranged, free to abduct, he don't give a fuck. Grab a grabber, stab a stabber, grab a grabber, stab a stabber. Parents are careless, victims are hairless. A girl in her dreams can't hear you scream Pick up the phone, you're not alone They'll guide you through, it's all up to you It's all up to you Grab a grabber, stab a stabber Grab a grabber, stab a stabber Let's start with some facts about the film. The Grabber donned several creepy masks throughout the film, each exposing different portions of his face. They were designed by legendary prosthetic makeup artist Tom Savini. Mason Tam said that the first time he saw the mask, coupled with Ethan Hawke's bone-chilling performance, he was terrified. I heard someone say as well that it looked like um, Long Chaney's performance in uh, London After Midnight, which is like some really old 1930s horror film. And I looked at the front cover and the face looks so similar. Yeah? Yeah, I think it might have... Uh, I think this film's full of um, homage to older horror films. Better horror films? Much better. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like there's a point in... Uh, just because you're talking about the masks, like I even noticed really, really vividly in the film, Madeline McCraw's uh, character has a yellow rain mac on and red boots in the rain. I'm like, that's Georgie from it. Like, yeah, what are you doing? I didn't clock that. So, yeah, the mask, I thought the mask was hiding a, a disfigurement. Yeah. I'm, I must admit, one of the best things about the film were the masks. In a film that I personally found to be quite tame in terms of scares, I thought the masks were pretty creepy. Hmm. And I could see in Halloween's coming, people are going to have those sorts of masks. And the fact that the, within the film, parts of the mask, sometimes it's the upper upper half of the face, mm-hmm. bottom half, and they all interchange. And I think that was quite, not, I wouldn't say scary, but a little bit uh, intimidating, I guess, with the music and the, the backlighting and all that stuff. I can imagine from a child's perspective, it would be quite frightening. I suppose he 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 gets his kicks from scaring them, so the masks add to his his modus operandi. That's what he his enjoyment comes from scaring kids. Because mm. uh, our um, Finn is it Finny? Yeah, our main uh, the main uh, protagonist in it. When he gets captured, he doesn't show fear straight away. 
he just stares at him. And I think that bothers Ethan Hawke's character, the grabber. Mm. And the masks aren't don't tend to be doing the 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 job that they he intended them to. Yeah. He's not a he's not a scary character. I didn't find him scary. No, and I, I feel like that's a problem mm. with a film that's labelled as a horror. The the scariest thing is the look of a mask. You mm. can make any mask scary with the right music and stuff. Like yep. for context, the mask is is it's a huge face, isn't it? And it's got horns, and then he's got different expressions on the lower parts of the half of the lower half mm. of the masks. Some are smiling, others are looking sad, more aggressive, others are missing a mouth completely. I did find the mask themselves interesting. And I, I, for one, would like a mask like that. Not to do anything dodgy with, but they just look cool and impressive. I thought you were going to say you'd like one to reminisce on the Etruscan orgies of old. Yes, that would be good. Yeah, I'd be down for that. Mm. Ethan Hawke had to be convinced to be in this film because he doesn't really play villains. He told director Scott Derrickson that the script would have to be great for him to sign on. Hawke called Derrickson almost immediately after reading the script, leaving him a voicemail in the voice of the grabber. Derrickson knew he had him hooked. Now, I don't blame Hawke for being sceptical about taking on the role. I think he does a relatively good job as the grabber, nothing too memorable. But I do admire him for taking on a different brand of character. That I would say that. Yeah, but I find for an actor of his calibre and some of the films he has done, like how how excellent he can be, I feel it was so lukewarm. I was just like, well... I see your face once properly. Yeah. And that's when you're in a hobbit-sized hole getting smacked with a phone. Yeah. I was just like, mm. I, I do struggle to, to believe he read that script and was blown away by it. Because for me, the script felt quite weak. The dialogue, Very. like it, the characters were all pretty one-dimensional. And to hear that Hawk was uh, impressed enough to be like well I don't normally play villains but you know what I'll do it for this film I found that a bit odd I think his physical performance in it was quite good he, he was quite menacing in his movements and stuff like that paired with the masks and the music and that I think it was fairly effective but the script reading that script and thinking oh yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna break trend and be a villain here I found that quite odd I liked one little um, aspect of his character and that would be where he leaves the door open and then he sits in his kitchen with his belly out holding his belt because he likes to punish the kids if they're naughty. Yeah. I thought it was so ridiculous that the, one of the ghosts on the phone tells Finney that, oh, he's asleep. You can get past him now. And and he's literally snoring. Yeah. He's like... <laughs> it's almost cartoon-like, like, isn't it? is this? Yeah. And, it's, and there's, there's, there's literally a vending machine for 80s characters in this. You're just like... And then an 80s character falls out. The Karate yeah. Kid. Oh, oh, yeah, there's there's lots of that in this film. And uh, I can tell already we, we share a similar view. Listen, whenever an actor goes against their, their casting type, I applaud it. I wish he would have been a little bit more fussy and, and chose a, a film where he could have really had fun with a really villainous uh, sort of antagonist. But this, his character and the whole film, it is very mild. Yeah, this is a this is an artillery shell away from Robin Williams in one hour photo. God, yeah, an artillery yeah. shell. That shit is yeah. gone. Not even comparable, no. are they? No. no. Uh, final fact: the script was written in six weeks. The film was shot in thirty three days. Ah! It feels like it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. No, that sounds like a diss because it is. Mm. The script took longer than the film process itself. That's mad. Which is crazy. It is, because you'd think, does that speak volumes about the script being so simple? So you don't even see him kill a kid. 
You don't even see a brutal murder to shock you into thinking, God, this guy is sick. I, if my personal opinion, it, you should, it should have been a really disturbing, long opening 15 minutes with a kid being tracked and, and, and killed. And then you're invested in the protagonist's plight, upcoming plight. Yeah, I tend to agree with you because if you, if you had like a montage of murder at the start, the audience are, are led to, to understand like the brutality of this serial killer. Mm. But without any of that context, it all feels very, very tame, very mild. It's all suggested uh, within the film. You, you, the uh, protagonist, Finney, speaks to past victims through a phone. And the only understanding you get of their torment is through them describing what happened to them and them helping Finney through his, through his journey. So yeah, I think if it, if it had started brutal and mm. then sort of veered off, I think that would have been more impactful. I yeah. think we would have both felt like, oh, okay, well, fucking hell, he is a nasty bastard. Whereas really you're just watching Ethan Hawke in Mask suggesting that he might be quite nasty. No explanation as to how he came to be that type of person no, and also whatsoever. how he could be so careless as a killer. Yeah, and I, I don't mind a film where there's there's little context, but I'd like to know some reasoning why he was the way yeah. he is. Like a, a little something, just like maybe just a flashback or... Uh, like you say at the start of the film maybe before they they ventured down what he did to to kids in the past maybe you could have had uh, him in an abusive relationship with his dad beating him or something like that some sort of context some sort of structure to this serial killer would have made the film feel feel a lot fuller you know just like the start of uh, Red Dragon yeah where um, Harvey Cartel's character comes to see Ed Norton and he's fixing boats in Florida somewhere that exposition's excellent because he sits there and tells him about the families that have been killed and how they were killed. Yeah. And, and there was glasses put in their eyes and that, and it builds the villain. Yeah. Well, it invests both the character and yeah. the audience into, right, okay, we need to catch this bastard sort yeah. of thing, doesn't it? Yeah. And then you see this wicked insight into Ralph Fiennes' character mm. um, and what makes him the villain. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it lost all of that. It, it didn't uh, execute that well. He's, to me, he's just a mystery, this guy, and yeah. still is. yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a thriller killer that certainly lacks substance, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. What did you like about the black phone? I liked how uh, Jeremy Davis school, uh, sc- schooled his child on not slurping cereal. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. no need for it. There There's is no excuse for this. He slurped after he put it in his mouth. So he didn't go and it went in his mouth. He went. He was making a performance of it, wasn't he? Yeah. You don't need to slurp food. I don't care if you're an alcoholic, abusive dad. If someone's slurping cereal, you have my blessing Yeah, to do your thing. Maybe don't beat them. But a no. stone telling off, you don't need to slurp. No, don't slurp. There's no, yeah, don't So I, I liked that Jeremy Davis's character and whoever wrote this um, showed a little bit of probably their own personal dislikes at Slurpy Slurpy Eaters. Yeah, there are peoples, aren't they? We're not fans of slurpers. Slurpies? No, yeah. Slurpies aren't our peoples. They are not our peoples. Anything else you liked about the film? I loved um, Finney's character playing with the Saturn V rocket, which is the one from the Apollo missions. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. And I think it's really nice because obviously he's he's living kind of a a shit life at home. His dad's Mm. an alcoholic because his mum committed suicide and he might even be an ex-war veteran, I think. I think he might have gone to... It's suggestible, isn't it? Yeah, it's suggestible because he's he's reading a newspaper about uh, veterans not getting payouts or something. And obviously it's just after Vietnam War. And I love that he's got the Saturn V rocket because that represented probably the greatest achievement of mankind to land people on the moon. And while he's living a life of being bullied at school and his dad's an alcoholic, he's he's holding this Saturn V rocket constantly and it's constantly appearing throughout the film. And uh, even though it didn't become a 
the tool he would eventually prevail with, which I thought was weird because they keep showing it. So it was like false foreshadowing or well, yeah, in, incorrect. Or in the context of the film, he's got that the pen of that of said ship, doesn't he? That that's got like a little torch on it, and he uses yeah. the torch. He he stabs the grabber in the arm initially with at it. the start. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. They they made such a point of showing this this pen. This mm. the fact that he had like quite a unique space rocket pen. Yeah. I thought, okay, so that's going to be prevalent later on in the film. But yeah, they kind of don't. It didn't use come it, to nothing. No. So you like the fact that it was was in the film as as like a, a what a, a authentic timestamp? Well, I thought it represented his desire to escape. Oh, nice. To get away from Earth. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of large. If I was him, I'd just want to get away from the town. Yeah. But he, I think him looking at the moon and stuff, maybe it's aspiration as well, because he's he's quite a smart kid. Yeah. Quite odd, actually. A lot of the kids in this are like adult slash kids, and, but they're clearly kids. Yeah. Like very mixed emotion characters. One minute they're terrified and scared. Next minute they're like grown men almost. Like, yeah, yeah you got to do this. You got to cluck him in the face. Yeah. I, I'm like, what? Yeah. What is going on? I'd be terrified if a, if a black bloom welding John Prescott looking dude grabbed me. Yeah. Well, you would, wouldn't you? But they find this weird inner strength where they act like seasoned pros, like they've been trained how to deal with abductions and torture and stuff like that. Especially Finney, the the lead lad played by um, Mason Tam. Tom Hiddleston. What? No, for <laughs> <laughs> me completely. But yeah, he his initial shock is very minimal, and he sort of straight away he's like reasons with his situation, like okay, right, I'm here. How can I get out? I would spend probably ninety percent of that capture screaming and shitting. Yeah, I wouldn't be chill. <laughs> I wouldn't be chill, and I'm talking now as a as a thirty something year old man. I'd be shitting and yeah. screaming. I wouldn't be like, right, what's my escape route? What can I do? I would be. A you don't have to be a mess. kid to be scared. Look of at Dar- look at Dharma's victims. Exactly. Well, that's terrifying. Men. Yeah, whoever you are, that shit's terrifying. Crazy. Yeah. Any more likes for the black phone? I did think it at first, but then I found the the, the ever changing emotion in uh, Madeline McGraw's character Gwen. It, I found that grating eventually, but I like her reaction when her dad's hitting her with the belt. I thought was extremely realistic. The way she's get, she's crying and he's telling her, "Why did the police come to my work?" Like the way she cried and stuff, almost okay. for a moment, reminded me of how amazing them kids acted in City of God. Just yeah. so realistic. Yeah. But then, like her jump from really confident potty mouth to really innocent little Jesus lover, I'm like, no, yeah, you'd not you could not be this bipolar at that age. The the tonal shifts. Oh. Within the characters and the story, for me, was was a real problem. So very minute, like yeah, a single uh, twenty two seconds of film. Yeah, and she sort she traverses through that her characters. One minute she's like this really powerful, strong, independent young kid who's had to deal with an awful lot and is is doing all she can to get through a tricky period of her life, both at home and what happens with with her brother. And then the next part, she's like blubbering and pleading to jesus to help her and stuff and it's like well which, which are you and it changes so quickly that it, it it aligns with the whole film for me it's all up and down all a bit over the place well she's she's a danny torrance in the shining essentially isn't yeah. she and, and scatman's one of the coppers trying to reach her shining yeah so they, they she can uh, get away from the evil or solve the evil mm. yeah it's all it's all a it's just a big so in quilt of other iconic horror films yeah the way it looks it's, uh, it's cheapened as well by some of the characters jesus christ yeah it, it sounds like you struggled to find any real likes from from this one is that a fair assumption yeah well i think straight from the get-go if you're trying to deliver a film that's about child abduction and child murders 
like look at how effective say sleepers was for what boys went through in ab- mm. abuse in boarding schools a shocking film great film and then you get this film and you're about to be invested into child abduction stuff and you get uh jordan Sire white played him who's the little karate kid with the bandana I forget his name. He might as well have had a pack of smokes, a pack of Johnnies and tattoos. Yeah. He was like a nine-year-old who was like a 28-year-old knocking the crap out of guys yeah. and busting noses and stuff. And it was like, a, it, honestly, a vending machine 80s character. Yeah. He even says in the film, like, he, him and another character have a ruck and he beats this other kid. And the the lead, uh, Finney, turns around and says, oh, did you have to do that? And he said, oh, yeah, I needed to make him bleed. It was for them, like for his audience, like oh the people that God. was watching the fight. And he's like... Do ten-year-olds think like this? No, they Do, don't. Are you are you serious? They don't. Right? Yeah. And then to have to have a character that strong, that bold, then become such a, a flavorless victim that yeah. it's just nothing and sort of just fades off into nothingness. It's just a bit like, well, stick to a lane. Like either he's a really strong badass despite his age, or mm. he is in fact just a fucking kid. He is literally a kid with the skinniest arms I've ever yeah. seen. And one of the victims later on is like a. A 13-year-old, very feminine-looking boy who's this badass guy in a in a, well, a slot machine yeah. place knocking the crap out of people and walking around. He's got a perm. It's hard to buy, isn't it? You can't think a, a kid who's, what, 12, 12 to 15 being, being a badass. Man. Yeah, being a badass and carving stuff into people's arms and beating the shit out of people it's, with such a fantastic perm. It's like they looked at what people are getting hard on in terms of Stranger Things exactly and stuff. And that, was just like, yeah. oh, we need to throw in a couple of them characters. Yeah. Oh, God. But they were just stereotype silhouettes that, done nothing for the film i think it's disrespectful for the subject matter i think really disrespectful to have to have such hokey characters in a film that's about the torture and suffering of children shame on you blumhouse yeah i think that that is a real problem you're not necessarily feeling connected to these poor people that are having their lives taken from them you're not you're not it sounds awful, but you're not even necessarily rooting for them because there's no one really likable. There's no one, not, for me anyway, that I connected with mm-hmm. that I thought, oh God, I hope they make it through. Like it was just, yeah, it, was, it all fell off, which is really strange considering how highly regarded this one is. I think it's commercial success totally shrouded its critical like response yeah like the, the, it's ridiculous i think he, derrickson even mentioned how the commercial success of this project is the catalyst as to why we're looking into doing a sequel there's going to be a sequel should that ever be the reason to do a sequel no it shouldn't it shouldn't be if but the, it is if the story's worth expanding on if it's left on a cliffhanger if it if it's uh generally He's emotional well yeah spoiler alert he fucking dies unless so it's going to be halloween all over again 20 halloween films and the guy die, can never die i can see it being a prequel and like you said at the start maybe maybe we'll we will get an insight into the the grabbers past and stuff but at this point do you care Pre- right. prequels have to stop they do need to stop they need to stop and when you know the end result a prequel has one hell of a job to captivate its audience again. Yeah. Mu- mu- it's much harder to do a prequel and just and do it well. But you you hit the nail on the head if it's if it's successful in terms of of making money, of course they're going to milk it. If people if the general audience liked what they saw and and it made loads of money, which I think it did, then 100, of course 161 million to a budget of 16. So yeah, it it's smashed huge, it. It huge. smashed it. So they they could make a sequel, and it will probably be worse than this one, and it will probably still make a shit ton of money because it's going to pull people in. And I thought the director Scott Derrickson, he's done he's done some pretty solid 
horror film. So now this is this is coming from someone who isn't a horror fan. And Sinister, I first saw it when I started my relationship with my fiance, mm. and she wanted to watch this film. I at the time I was re- I was dead against watching horror films. I've sort of grown to them as I've got older. I've I've manned up a little bit, so to speak. And I watched it with her, and she was almost laughing at it. I didn't sleep for days. Is that the one where the kids film? themselves killing their family well it's it's effectively like a, the, the boogeyman mm. and i don't remember i've managed to eliminate it from my brain so i can have more of a peaceful life but there's a scene that stuck with me and where the camera shoot goes over a, a swimming pool and this this figures are standing oh, in yes. the pool looking up yeah that shook me to shit and you see the other work that he's done he's done exorcism of emily rose which i haven't seen but i've heard is a highly regarded horror and doctor strange which i thought was an interesting uh chapter in the uh MCU. Didn't I he get dropped decent. from doing Doctor Strange? Um, oh no, the, the sequel. Yeah, he did the first one. The second one, he he left for creative reasons, and Sam Raimi t- took over the the reins. But I look at that backlog of work, and I thought, okay, so we're in for another well-established horror director doing a film that seems to be decent, mm. and you know, he kind of let me down. I think. Yeah. What what I liked about it, it it was in essence, I thought, an interesting concept. I like the idea of past victims um, helping out a, a child serial killer's latest abductee. I felt that the premise of vengeance from beyond the grave was a unique take in an otherwise pretty average horror flick. Now, I, I haven't seen a lot of horror films, so this might be a plot device that's been used many times. I don't know. But I like the idea of people that have fallen victim to this serial killer uniting and helping him from beyond the grave. Now, I, I like that. I thought that was a good idea. It just, it was an interesting concept that wasn't well executed. The Changeling with George C. Scott did this. Did he? In the 70s, 80s. Okay, see, I don't know. Yeah. So for someone who's who's got a very small knowledge when it comes to this genre of, of cinema, I like that. Mm-hmm. But if it's been done before, then I like it It less. wasn't done through a phone. It was done through like a poltergeist and a, a red ball coming down the stairs and stuff. A boy was trying to tell the new resident, George C. Scott's character, that there's a... I actually think it's still a really good film, but he's essentially telling him that he died of he was murdered in this house and then George C. Scott goes on a mission to find him. So that's not it's not an original concept. No. But then again if you look at Sinister, that's the same. Ethan Hawke's trying to discover what happened to these people, isn't he? So he's looking into these videos, which again, kids uh kids are the actual baddies in this. And it happens through the video, doesn't it? Uh, so yeah, I, I remember back. very little, yeah. They, yeah. Aren't they by, sort of um, prompted by the boogeyman to, to do it sort of thing? Yeah, but if you watch the video... Then you do it. And then it's like the ring. Okay. So Derrickson just copies from others by the sounds of things. Well, yeah. If you look at that yellow rain mac in the rain, it's just Georgie from it, yeah. which is an iconic scene. But I guess if you're a horror fan, maybe you, you applaud the homage to past horror greats. Maybe you like those little Easter eggs. For me, not so much. And it could be because I don't know too much I about don't, it. I don't, because you've got an opportunity to just do something original, which might stand the test of time and become a, a cult classic. And it's just yeah. a... Borrowing just ideas. A, yeah, it's just a... Mm. Oh, it's yeah. just a, a cowboy a cowboy casserole. Just yeah. throw everything in the pot. Just throw it all in there. <laughs> it oh, like is that, that a bit of meat? Oh, yeah. God. I did, uh, as a fan of Ethan Hawke, the, the second thing I liked uh, about the film was the man himself. Even though he didn't have too much to do, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Mr. Hawke and it was interesting to watch him perform a more uh, villainous role. His introduction as the grabber was the film's strongest moment, in my opinion, and I thought he, w- he was decent as a masked menace. Now, 
he wasn't given a great deal of context. His character wasn't well fleshed out. But when he was on screen, when he was doing the hand signals and when when he was sitting there, like you, you mentioned earlier, waiting for Finney to come up the stairs and he had his belly out and he's sitting there with this mask on, looked, looked quite menacing. In a physical um, performance, I thought he was quite good. He, he had his gruff voice and the way he, he held himself when he was meant to be a threat, a menace. I thought he did a good job with that. He just felt like he didn't have enough to do, which is bizarre when the film is focused on a child serial killer that he mm. had so little to do. Maybe like you said earlier, if he had a bit more context, if we saw a bit more into his character, it would have been a better fuller piece. Well, incompetence um, reigned supreme in this film. Like, so when Finney's uh, obviously become, uh, he, he's now been abducted. He hears from how many boys, five boys on the phone. Uh, yeah. They're all thereabouts. Yeah. Five kids, right? So five kids have gone missing in what we could say maybe a year prior to the film starting and uh not one parent not one police officer not one teacher is telling people you need to be careful you don't walk home on your own none of that shit happens there's kids going missing all in this tiny little local town there ain't no skyline Mm. ain't chicago or new york this is just a little suburb and there's no worry for the kids none of them yeah and i'm not being i'm not being cruel but these, these these aren't prostitutes or drug addicts going missing these are little white kids They'd be up in arms. Yeah, you are They'd be right. going bloody crazy. Yeah, you're right. And Jeremy yeah. Davis, alcoholic or not, when kids are going missing and you even see a scene where he takes a cord, you know this kid? Yeah, I'll go to school with him. He's my friend. And he just walks out of the house. Yeah. It's like, dude, kids are being taken, murder killed, stabbed, murder killed, put in holes. Mm. And you're, you're just like, mm. And police officers have an opportunity at the school to even tell the school, you know, guys, never walk home on your own. There's a killer out there. There's this, there's that. Nothing. Yeah. It reeks of plot convenience, doesn't it? It, If if the... Bothers me a lot. Yeah. I I share your your, uh, concerns there because... Well, if they're not concerned, why should I be? Well, exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a proper Karen comment, wasn't it? I'm not being funny, right? Yeah. I feel like you'll have a few more of them when we get onto your dislikes. My um, final like about the film was I like the sepia tone. The, the way mm. the film is shot in an almost grainy, tea, yeah, tea-bagged hue adds an element of nostalgia and makes the movie, uh, it feels like a genuine product from the decade in which it's set. Now, well, it's a real shame that the characters aren't as relatable as the whole look of the film. Mm-hmm. If if the characters were as fleshed out and, like you said, weren't... Cartoony. Um, yeah, weren't cartoon vending machine replicas yeah. of stereotyped... 80s action figures. yeah. If they gave that that same level of concentration to the actual characters as they did with the actual look of the film, then I think it would have, we would have been onto a winner. But unfortunately, it didn't. What are you we talking? Typhoon, Twinings, um, PG Tips. I, I'm not really. Pig? I'm not really a tea guy. But let's go with Fat Pig because I like the idea of a film being dunked in fat pig, fat pig tea, tea juice. Yeah, Ooh. might have improved the film. Yeah, it would. What um, didn't you like about the film? I feel like there's a fair fair few bits. Character Matty, played by Jordan Osiah White, he puts the cheese in hot cheese soup and the ore in Orlando Bloom. <laughs> Please elaborate. He just shy it. I don't care if he's a kid actor because Finney does a fine job of just acting and being believable in his role. But that action hero karate kid wielding bandana thing looks like Rambo shat out a miniature Rambo. It was just so like. Why? Yeah. Why have you put it in? Why have you put him in there? It's about kids being murdered. Yeah. You have done nothing for your film by putting him in there. Yeah. Oh. 
I mean, it may have been more successful if if the lead character was that tough. If Finney was the one that was kicking ass and taking names and he got put in that environment with the grabber, you'd be like, well, you've got a fucking handful here because this kid is a fucking monster. He's a tyrant. He will kick the shit out of you. Then you'd be like, oh, okay, but he's this tough guy. And then we see him being tough for what? So later on in the film that he can offer some advice. Well, you wasn't handy enough to save yourself, were you, mate? So you're not going to, what, what are you going to do now? What's the point of you? So yeah, I do agree. And there is no way on God's green earth that Finney's slight figure could ever strangle out Ethan Hawke's fully grown man body just because he's in a hobbit hole and he's broke his ankle. With a with a phone cord as well. I guarantee you Ethan Hawke's neck and shoulders are stronger than Finney's arms. So he could have just leant forward and got his hands under the... And, and done him. Like, the elaborate plan to kill Ethan Hawke was ridiculous. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It all took a load yeah. of mistakes to get to the point where... Like, if I was Ethan Hawke, even if I fell down that hole, my arms are still strong. Well, exactly that. If he's got a telephone cable but, around your neck, your hands are free to just go, um, no, excuse me, I'm going to pull that away from my neck. Yeah. And in the film, he uses a fucking heavy... What is it? Fridge panel or something to cave in a wall. Use that fucker to bash his yeah. head in. Um, use the iron grate you took from the window to <laughs> yeah. kill him, not the little phone with the dust in it. Yeah, because that little kid went through a karate moment with you. Back, step back, jump forward, punch. Yeah, no, I do agree, man. Yeah, it, it was hard to look past that, and and a lot of the film personally, it, it did great on me as well. The GCSE play because. Yeah. You know when he picks up the phone and then the only scare they can give their audience is an apparition of the phone person call person phone? The, the way that they uh, they talk to him and then they sort of flicker and they're in the background talking, right? It is a weird one. So Finney does witness a Pepsi bottle floating and being moved around by a ghost, but he can't see the ghosts at first. And then he just sees one on his back with blood coming out of his mouth. Like that. <laughs> yes. It's just so like, oh God, it's convenient. It's the laziest yeah. filmmaking. It's so lazy. Yeah, man. Surprised I, even Hawk's proud to put his name to this. I do. I do agree. And I, I was just going into this, like with every film, I wanted to enjoy it. I don't go watching a film thinking, oh, I hope this is shit. Every film I ever watch, I want to watch and be like, I hope this is good. Because of course, I'm spending hours of my life watching it. I want to enjoy it. And seeing how, how well received the film was i thought okay the black phone's going to be it's going to be decent mm. and i was almost a, I a little that. bit a little bit worried it's like oh this is a highly rated horror film it's going to fuck me up mm. i'm not good with horror films so i was like oh, oh fucking hell i could be in trouble here but it was the opposite it was yeah i, I was not a fan maybe it's been everything's being diluted so much that by the time it does come out this is the new standard and this is what people are looking for from that rush life maybe mm. they just go home and go oh, it was really quick easy i didn't have to take anything in yeah yeah Sweet. I mean, there could be something to be said about that. We're we're a little bit older now, and mm. maybe the people that are loving this are late teens, early twenties. Maybe if we watched this when we were late teens, early twenties, we might have liked it. But I knew what I was like back then, and I don't think I would have. Even the the TV movie it with uh, Tim Curry, mm. it does. A, it, it, it it's even old. It's older. But mo I guarantee you, most people would say that's a better film. It's scarier. Uh, it builds the tension. It has a bit of context to it. And your your protagonist is terrifying. You know, yeah, he's a clown. But he's also other things. In the book, he's like a tortoise and a spider as well. Ugh. Yeah, it gets weird. But um, it was so... It was so Diet Coke. Yeah. It was like it had to air before 4pm on a Sunday because <laughs> the roast was burning. It was so... Sh mm, sorry. Yeah. That's all right, man. Overly negative. Can I uh, have some more dislikes? 
I think I already covered it, but you know, how many kids have to go missing before anyone gives a fuck? Yeah. So I didn't give a fuck. So that was that one done. Um, I read a bit more about Derrickson. I'll just give you a little insight into the way this man's mind works. Derrickson believes in ghosts because so many people have said they've seen them that that is evidence in and of itself. Do you, right. That is ridiculous. You could apply that many caveats to something like that. Yeah. I believe in aliens because loads of people have seen them. Yeah. I believe in fundamental terrorism because loads of people believe in it. What yeah. are you talking about? I believe that all the powers to be in the world are actually um, body-changing lizards because loads of people believe in that. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So if he if he conducts himself in life with just believe it because someone said they've seen it. Where does it end? Well, the, it doesn't. It starts with films like this. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. 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 I mean, if... if I believe in this film. Done. Yeah. If... If he had said, oh, I believe in ghosts because I've had a paranormal experience, fine. Okay, that's happened to you, or if you think that's happened to you, mm-hmm. then, okay, I understand why you would believe that. Fair enough. Through your experiences, you believe in something. But to say, oh, I believe in it because so many people have seen it, stop. You're being silly. Yes. Uh, are we done with your dislike? Shall I go on mine? Uh, just like I was so bored. Okay. Like, I wanted to be captivated okay. just like you, but oh, I wasn't long into it and I was bored. I was really like, this is just going nowhere. Yeah. Oh, and one plot hole that really bothered me, and some people would say it's not a plot hole. i say this is a plot hole. This is a plot hole. Go okay, on. if the cameraman can see from outside the house into the basement window and see Finney in there screaming, then a dog walker whose dog runs over to have a crap on a lawn can also see Finney in a basement screaming. So him being this mastermind who gets away with five, six uh, takings yeah, of children. Black out your windows. Yeah. He has open win- He has windows that you can easily, a, a dog walker, a kid throwing newspapers, you know, a kid throwing a newspaper, it goes in a puddle, he gets off his bike, he goes over and he, as he looks up, he sees Finney uh, yeah. in the bed. It was just like, what? Yeah. what are you doing? You're right. It would take an inquisitive dog. Inquisitive to, dog. To go and, uh, uh, what's, what's that over there? Oh, look, 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 look. Oh, oh, shit, there's someone in there, yeah. yeah oh, and right. uh, Finney can kill this man, by the way, as we've already discovered. He can break his neck, he can strangle him outright, but he can't He can't run for shit and he can't hide. <laughs> yeah. You come out of a killer's house, you don't just stay on the straight and narrow. If a sniper's gauging you, you zigzag, Yeah, right? He just pulled his van in front of him like it was Home Alone 6 and went, get in. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Plot hole after plot hole after plot hole. Yeah can't believe people rave about it yeah I, f- I feel you man and and that ties into my, the, my main dislike is how overhyped it was with an impressive score of seven on imdb and lots of positive response from audiences i expected like we said this one to be decent it was bang average for me and i felt the film fell flat because of high expectations mm-hmm. so like you i was i was largely bored i was waiting for it to to peak and and to to sort of gain my interest and like you it never really did shy it was a really he was a really um inept serial killer is it is inept the one where they're not good at it yeah if you could say that in a sentence he was not a good serial killer yeah well he was well apparently he was because he he managed to do get five kids yeah. Managed to dead him up, so he was he was somewhat prolific. I don't know how because he in the film he's not painted as as because the parents, the police, and the teachers didn't care. Yeah, and which is unrealistic. Yeah, if uh, the thing is, if you tr- if you want a serious subject matter, you've got to treat it seriously. If you don't treat it seriously, I don't believe you. When I don't believe you, I'm looking at my phone. Yeah. I'm looking at how Brentford are doing against Brighton. Yeah, and that's a problem, isn't it? That is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my second dislike is it just wasn't scary. And it wasn't scary. I scare easily and I wasn't remotely bothered by anything that happened. The black phone is labelled as a horror, but I consider it to be a pretty dull attempt. 
Um, and, you know, like I said earlier, it is a shame because the concept of, of the film initially intrigued me, but it pans out to just being so... I don't even think it's awful because the first time I watched it, I was I was engaged enough. I don't think it was a, it was a train wreck of a film. I didn't think this is unwatchable, but it's I, I would argue it's almost worse to be bang average than it is it to is. be shit. It is because you go into Snakes in a Plane knowing it's a piss take joke shit yeah. movie, and you get something from it. And there's there's when something is that bad, it can, there's in some circumstances it can almost be good. If it's that bad, if it's that laughable, yeah. there's part of you that's like, oh my god, this is bad. But when it's bang average, when mm-hmm. it's when it's just a glass of warm milk, you're just like, oh. You want a glass of warm milk? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Step somebody. And my uh, my final dislike, it, it mirrors yours entirely, and I just didn't care. No. In a film where the audience is supposed to, to care about the survival of a child that has been kidnapped by a crazed serial killer, I didn't give a shit. I couldn't take no tips from this film on how to protect okay, a child. I'm glad you added that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the children were pretty stereotyped, their performances pretty stale, and I found myself largely uninterested in the protagonist's survival. A more considered script and more likeable characters may have helped me connect more, but to be frank, I couldn't have given less of a toss. No. And like you say, when when the, the nucleus of this film is such a disturbing um, subject matter about about young lives being taken away from their family, kids who who are coming home from school, getting abducted and gruesomely killed. Like you should care about that. You should be sitting there going, Oh God, that's awful. Like, and he, even more so if you're a father and you, you, you put yourself in the, the position of, Oh my God, imagine mm-hmm. that the, the, the absolute tragedy of, of it all. You should be sitting there watching it and going, Oh, this is awful, but I didn't care. And you don't even have to be killed for it to be a shocking story. So look at, Look at Fro- uh, uh, Joseph Fritzl in Austria. Look at Ariel Castro. Have you seen the film The Cleveland Abduction? No. With Tara Manning. No. Taring Manning. Oh, man. It's such a good film. 2015, watch it. It's the true story about Ariel Castro. And he, 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 this guy actually kidnapped three women in broad daylight. And he, ha- he had them as sex slaves for, over, for like five, six years. Bloody hell. And uh, it's a great film. And that's a true story. And one day, the, one of the girls got out. And just and just escaped, and it all came out, and it's insane. But that's a real story. He didn't kill any of them. He he abducted them. They were sex slaves. He raped them numerous numerous times. It was terrifying, and it was a true story. Yeah. So why do I need this when real life's more believable, more yeah. more scary, more realistic? Yeah. The paranormal part doesn't even work. I don't think. No. You know why? Why? Why would? Why? Why are these kids paranormal? Like. Nothing never evolves in it. We don't yeah. ever like it. Never even goes into why Ethan Hawke can hear the phone. Did he used to hear ghosts on the phone, or yeah. was he abused in that cellar? Mm. No one knows. Yeah, and that I think's the core of the problem. You don't care. I don't care. You don't care. I don't care. There you go. Exactly. I've got some questions. The black phone pairs paranormal with a child abducting serial killer. Did the blend of genres work for you? I feel you've already answered this. Or did you feel the film would have worked better if it stuck to a singular trajectory of being either a killer thriller or a straight-up paranormal horror? I would have preferred one or the other. So I think so. Like with, I think Lovely Bones did a good job of being mildly paranormal in the fact that the victim dies quite early on in the film and then she spends the film trying to lead her father towards getting vengeance on the killer. That's an, entirely a paranormal experience. And then you've got, you know, films like Mindhunter and that, well, series like Mindhunter where it's real, you're pursuing a, a guy who's killing the kids in the Atlanta child. Yeah. Murder. So one or the other, the blend don't work. 
No. If anything, the blend only only revealed more of the inconsistencies in the story and the inept police work and the... Oh, gosh, gosh. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And while I do admire the ambition, I think it's an interesting an interesting concept to, to weave the two. If it works, it could have been fantastic. But the fact it didn't, like you said, it just it's just a mess. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a shit heap of a film. But I think Ghost worked. And I know it's a, it's a ghostly rom-com with Swayze and Demi Moore, but it works, man. Yeah. Ghost works. It's tragic, sad, it's upsetting, it's great. It's got a beautiful ending. Yeah. And that's a, that's a guy singing Henry VIII I Am to Whoopi Goldberg on a bed, and I'm more invested in it. <laughs> it sounds it. Ethan Hawke goes against the grain in the black phone by playing a villain. No, we don't. What actor who is known for being a goodie would you like to see turn bad by playing an antagonist role? Ryan Gosling. Has he, has he done any villains? Drive is an anti-hero, but he's a good guy at heart, isn't he? Oh, he's a good guy, yeah. Yeah. He's a good guy. I can't think off the top of my head where he plays a He's really a good guy in Grey Man. Um, I've not seen Beyond the Pine Barrens. Is he bad in that? Oh, Place Beyond the Pines. Place Beyond the Pines. Um, no, I think he, he he's, a, I think he's a troubled guy, but a good guy at, at heart. I think he, he's really good in that from, from what I remember. Mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling's a good shout. He's just my number one heartthrob and... I could have asked any question and you would have gone, gone Gosling. with Gosling, yeah? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, who, who, who plays Schindler in Schindler List of Musical? Gosling. Yeah. Yep. You'd like, you'd watch him in anything, wouldn't you? I would, man. Yeah. I would. Yeah. That's char- that's charisma for me. Yeah. And I think he would nail it. I'd love to see him in a really nasty role, mm-hmm. like where he's just hateable. But please, not a Bond villain. No. Oh, I'd love to see him in a Tarantino film where he is just a nasty bastard. Yeah. Like, Think of DiCaprio in Django Unchained oh. or Hans Lander in um, Christoph Waltz's character oh, in Glorious Bastards. I think he would be great in that. My uh, aunt- uh, uh. Wait for the cream. Yeah. I think uh, when I've thought of this question, my immediate response in my head was Andrew Garfield. Now, he plays like a bit of a dickhead in a film mainstream that came out last year. Um, but I'd like to see him because he's he's... A lovable dude, isn't he, in pretty much everything? Yeah, he either plays that extremely devout, Straight religious, lace. yeah, dude. Uh, conscientious yeah. objector, yeah, Spider Man, yeah. I'd love to see him as like a really, again, like you, like you said with Gosling. I could see him turning a really nasty role. I'd, I'd like to mm-hmm. see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My final question: This film sees an abducted vic- victim able to speak to the grabber's previous victims through a telephone. If you could speak to a true life victim of an infamous serial killer, who would you want to speak to, and why? Oh, that is dark, isn't it? That's a good question. Um, oh, I'd like to speak to, what was his name? Kenneth. He was a Myra Hindley and Brady um, victim. Uh, Ian Brady. Sorry, I want to look at this. Ian That's Brady. all right. Well, I'll give my answer. Give your answer. Because um, I recently watched the um, Netflix series Dharma and the documentary tapes of, of Dharma. I would be fascinated to talk to any one of the victims that that fell to to the hand of Dharma. Well, one lived, didn't he? Yes. got away. Yes, but I would... So I know a lot of his victims were tempted to go back with him for money and he, he was a, a fairly handsome dude buying him drinks and he, uh, from what I've heard through the documentary and the TV series, he, he was quite quite approachable, quite... Um, he had army, army body, didn't he? Yeah, quite endearing, quite an attractive dude. But I'd, I'd like to see, like... Do you, because I feel like someone like Dharma, I think there would be a part of you be like, this guy seems a bit off. 
And I'd be interested to, to speak to him and be like, did part of you think this guy might be a bit dodgy? Because who comes up to me like, I come back to mine, I'll take photos. Like, I, did you have a little bit of you that was like, this sounds a bit awful. Was you so desperate for the money that you, you were willing to, to ignore that part? First thing I'd do, if I could meet one of Dharma's victims, is I'd take a little pot of horseradish, a pot of chilli sauce, and I'd, I'd, go, I'd go, all right, yeah, you ready? And he goes, yeah, I'm going to open it. i go, can you smell them? And he goes, yeah, I can smell them. So why can't you smell the fucking bodies? <laughs> yeah. That door opens yeah. and you get whiff of 20-year-old dirty burger meat in your nose. You're out. Yeah, and I get out of there. You can't, who can, who can have sex <laughs> smelling that? I don't care how drunk you are. The nostrils never lie. If you Nostril. walk in and you never. and you sneeze death, you're going to be like, um, I don't, I don't want to be here for money or or otherwise. Do you smell everything before you put it in your mouth? It, ev- absolutely everything. Yeah, it's it's normal, isn't it? Yes. So, did you find who you? My like one's to talk a bit more. It's a bit more sad, but okay. it's uh, Keith Bennett. So he was one of uh, Myra Hindley and Ian Brady's victims who was never found, and the mum never got to bury him. She never found his body parts, and they're still looking to this day for where Keith Bennett was buried because I think they pretty much found every other victim apart from Keith Bennett, young lad. Very sad, yeah. But I would love to uh, speak to him to to know where they buried him, so because then it would have brought. Uh, it would have brought some closure to his family that never knew. Oh, that's nice, man. You were looking at the bigger picture of justice, whereas I'm just like, oh, tell me about it. What happened? Oh, yeah, yeah but then I wanted to change my answer back to you and join you on that horseradish test. Like, can you smell that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What would you rate the black phone out of 10? Four. Four? I thought you'd go four. Yeah, I think that's pretty, that's fair, to be honest. Um, I, I went a bit higher. I went five. Because for me, it was just absolutely bang average. There was parts of the film that I was like, oh, like I said, the the concept itself I was interested in. Um, and I was like, yeah, okay. No. And I, I, I like Ethan Hawke in whatever he does. So that boosts up my score. But yeah, I'd go straight down the middle and I'd have given it a five. That gives the Black Phone a total score of nine out of 20, which is slightly below average, which that's, is probably... That's not pudding. About fair. It's, it's not pudding. If you like your horror films to be not scary at all, or if you like to watch Ethan Hawke wearing creepy masks whilst a child inexplicably talks to the dead on a phone, then the Black Phone could be a film for you. <laughs> Consider watching this one if you enjoyed The Sixth Sense, Sinister and Stranger Things. Should we play a game? Si, senor. The game in question is What the Plot where the rules are simple and the results quite the opposite. Harry will conceive an original idea from his big and beautiful brain and give birth to a plot. It is then down to me to nurture this thought by providing a film title, genre, cast and anything else I can think of to raise this brainchild into a fully functioning film concept. Over to you, Harry. Our protagonist is an artisan rug maker, an absolute artist when it comes to making rugs. And he lives in an England where... Uh, homosexuality is illegal. Oh, so is this set in the future or in the any time? Okay, past, future, because it was illegal once. Lives in, the UK. in so lives in England. Yeah, lives yeah, in England where it's illegal to be gay. It's illegal to be gay. He is not gay, but he is an artisan rug maker, incredible rug maker, and that's his uh, that's his pride, his profession, his love. Now, uh, one evening when he's finishing up this masterpiece, his son comes into the, the shop covered in blood. And his son said, Dad, I've done something. I need your help. And essentially the son was uh, set on by a bunch of um, guys who uh, found out him to be a homosexual. And they attacked him. And the son stabbed one of them, killed them. The arrest ran off. And so the son 
says, I need your help. And the dad goes, okay, well, let's do this. And he takes this masterpiece rug that he's just about to finish and he drives it with his son to the body and wraps the body in this masterpiece rug and then they hide the body. And it's all about the the fallout from that. Uh, the, the dad trying to hide his his son's crime of trying to defend himself from bigots, but he can't reveal that his son is homosexual. So it could all blow up. It could, he could get caught. He might not get caught. The dad might take the fall for the murder. But it's the symbolism of putting like a dead body in this masterpiece artisan rug that he's created. Okay. That's what I got. That's okay. what I got. But in terms of fate, I don't know. Does the son get caught? Does the dad take the fall? So his son's gay yeah. and gets jumped for being gay in, a, in an England parallel universe. Or, or tricked into an interaction with a gentleman and then gets attacked and set on and he stabs him. Okay. Kills him to protect himself. And then the others run off and then they hide the body or something. So it's, um, so people are, uh, accusing this, this rug maker Mm. and potentially his son of doing the crime. And it's the story is about them trying to avoid being captured and trying to, maybe there wasn't more than one actually, maybe one guy, attempted to kill our uh, the the son and then the son killed him in the assault because he had to then tell his dad i took went into an alley with him to do, you know okay. to have sex with him or something and then the guy turned on him called him all the nastiest names under the sun all the derogatory names the son kills him in the in the tussle and then he's terrified i'm going to get caught i even need to explain why i'm in an alley with this guy or i need to hide the body and hence his dad getting involved so he's his dad's like a real carpet connoisseur he's like a top of his game like yeah rugs quietly quietly spoken but them incredible like moroccan rugs you find in souks in marrakesh and stuff incredible they make them for for celebs all around the world and he's an artist he's an artisan and it's just like a symbolism i'm taking my art i'm making a human burrito okay with my son's victim and i've just found out in the same instance my son has murdered someone to defend himself and i've also found out my son is homosexual in a place where it's illegal Okay. How does Daddy solve this issue? Yeah. Okay. Uh, a tale of love. His um is the father. Is he against his um son's sexuality, or is he accepting of it? I'd say he's accepting. He's more fearful of what will come, what will happen to his son. Okay. Like the ramifications because of the illegalities. So he's an advocate of of being who you're, who you are. You shouldn't have to um hide who you are well he's a loving dad isn't he so he's got to he's got to make that tough decision now about protecting his son you know his son was a little baby once he loved him he hugged him changed his nappy and did all that and now his son's got blood on his hands and he potentially could die or be hung for his actions either for the murder or for revealing that he murdered him because he was being attacked in an alley why was he being attacked in an alley so it's like a reveal what do you give up do you give up do you be your true self and and put yourself in for the crime and say, I did it. I'm, you know, I was, I'm homosexual. He attacked me in the street. It was a lure and uh, he did it to beat me up, etc. Or does the dad take the fall to save his son from being. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's an interesting story. So to recap, we've got a protagonist, not protagonist, sorry, a rug maker, world renowned. Yep. Yep. One of the best to have ever done it. Best in the business. Just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He lives in England where it's illegal to be gay. 
Well, his business is world renowned, yeah. Yeah, um, and he, so his son's gay, and he's he's more than happy with his son being gay in an environment where it's illegal. He's not got a problem with that. That was a fact sixty five years ago. Yeah, wasn't that shocking, ago? isn't it? Yeah. Um, one day, his son comes uh, into the shop covered in blood. Uh, he was attacked by a homophobe, yeah. or a group of home. We've, we're going. So let's say one because if there was more than one, they'd yeah. witnessed. They they could go to the police. So he was attacked, and um, in. See, Derrickson, that's resolving a plot hole. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And um, the son kills the the homophobe that attacked him out of self-defence, basically. Yeah, let's say he disarms that guy, stabs him, okay. kills him, yeah. So on the surface, this film is a, is a drama. Mm. Uh, I guess it, it's partially a thriller when you've got someone who's a- attacked for just being who they are and then out of fear of what will happen to the son if he's caught in a society that doesn't accept him for who he is. Mm-hmm. That's that's the story. That's the peril. His dad's got to decide whether or not to support his son and, and hide a dead body, which is completely against what he's, he's morality, mm-hmm. who he is as a person. So it's him dealing with that and then forming an allegiance and, and, and being dictated by the love of his son to sort of protect him. It's a really interesting story. I'd try and get Daniel Day-Lewis out of retirement to be in this one. You look at his uh, turn in Phantom Fred as mm. someone who's a master of his craft. I think he's he's excellent as that softly spoken um, expert who's who prides himself on, on quality. So he could be quite, quite you- upper class quite um well spoken but mm. he's got that side where he's fiercely loyal to his family do you so think he would say um would you think he would say uh i've done dresses i can't do rugs do you think he'd say that probably but <laughs> but i'm going with him yeah he's daniel day lewis <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he's here directing the film would be his partner in crime would be paul thomas anderson because yes, they work so well together um they they did phantom fred together have i literally pitched phantom fred but the only difference is that homosexuality is illegal no no because this no one's murdered in phantom fred that's true it's just someone eats a dodgy mushroom, mushroom. and uh the, i think the the role of the sun's quite important so it's set in england so I, I think it's important to have a british lead that's why i've gone daniel day lewis and his son i'd have uh will porter who oh, i think is cool. brilliant yeah he's great um, i i think he would be he's quite a physical specimen so you can yeah. you look to look at him i think you can well he could handle himself yeah i think he's he's got a a sensitive undertone to, to to his personality and character, so I think I think he could play really well to to be sort of this this strong independent person that form that falls victim to a hateful society, mm-hmm. and he's pushed into doing something by an idiot bigot that mm-hmm. attacks him, so he ends up killing him. So yeah, I'd have Daniel Day Lewis as the dad, Will Porter as the son, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, and I'd call the film Phantom Fred Two. I'm joking. Yeah, I'd call the film Run Rugged. Ben, is that you? I'm back here. Dad, Dad, help me. Ben, whose blood is that? I was attacked. I was walking home from the line and this this, this guy jumped out at me. He, he came out of nowhere, Dad. I had no choice. He attacked me. Ben, are you hurt? Whose blood is that? It's not mine. From Paul Thomas Anderson, director of There Will Be Blood and Harry's favourite film, Licorice Pizza. Starring Daniel Day-Lewis, who has unretired, and Will Poulter as his son, Run Rugged. Coming soon. <laughs>